Welcome to the Utah Women in Leadership podcast series. Today we're going to be talking about labor force participation among Utah women, which is a topic of one of our research snapshots a few years ago. I'm Dr. Susan Madsen, founding director of the Utah Women in Leadership Project, and I'm here with Robin Scribner, the lead researcher for the Research Snapshot series here at the project. To get us started today, I want to give a little background and then we'll just get into a great conversation. Thanks for joining me today, Robin. Over the past half century or so, Utah women's participation in the labor force has actually steadily increased at a rate of about 8% per decade. According to the most recent statistics with the U.S. Census Bureau in 2015, women in Utah make up about 44% of the state's workforce, which is slightly lower than the U.S. women's share of the national workforce, which is about 47%. So in general, Utah women, though, are about as likely to be employed as U.S. women, but Utah women are less likely to work full-time year-round. So let's talk about some of the demographic data that we found, you know, overall age, marital status, and things like that. Robin? Thanks, Susan. As you know, this is one of my very favorite topics to talk about. We find in Utah all the time that there's sort of this narrative that we have that Utah women aren't really employed as much as women throughout the nation. And and looking at the numbers, we find that it's just not true. But there absolutely are various factors that dictate the way that women in Utah are working in the paid labor force. One of the most interesting demographics to look at is age. So one of the reasons why our actual overall average of women being in the labor force at slightly higher numbers in Utah than they are in the nation is because young women in Utah work at higher percentages than women do now. Nationally. So women ages 16 to 19 in the state of Utah, 54% of them are working versus only 39% of women nationally. And then that's those, a big difference. There right is. There. That's a huge gap. And so our young women are really working at very high rates comparatively. And we stay higher than national women as far as our participation until about age 25. Mm-hmm. And then between 25 and 45, Utah women actually drop quite a bit below the national average sometimes as much as almost 10 percentage points below. So for instance, women between 30 and 34, 66% of Utah women are in the labor force versus 76% of women nationally. So those are kind of the prime childbearing and early child rearing years between 25 and 45. And our numbers do drop below. And that makes sense. Yeah, it it? does because we have larger families. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. But then starting at um, 45, our numbers come back to almost as high as women nationally, but we actually stay a little bit below or slightly below throughout the retirement years. So it's really those young years that put us above the national average for the entire lifespan of a woman. One of the statistics that I use a lot when I speak is really when people, back to what you said originally, people often say, well, we don't have as many women working in the state of Utah because we're, we assume they're home with children. But we are slightly higher compared to the national average. Uh, The national average is about 71.5%. But when you include everybody, women who are working part-time, everyone in the labor force, we're about 72% of women. We just have more part-time women. Right. right? Absolutely. And that's a very distinct factor that we have in the state of Utah. We are actually ranked highest in the nation for the percentage of women who are working part-time at almost 40% versus uh, women nationally that are below 30%, around 27. And so that's a big difference 
in the way that Utah women are working and women nationally are working. So one of the things that I have had to be careful about saying is sometimes we assume, we just say women who work outside the home. That's really not applicable sometimes because we have a lot of women who are actually entrepreneurs and women who telecommute. We actually work for pay in the home and work for pay out of the home. And as you know, we do a lot of work for not pay in the home. But that is an important distinction. And that's something that we've used kind of, you know, traditionally working outside the home. But really, it's more accurate to say in the paid labor force, yes. right? That really is a more uh, clear distinction. So another important uh, difference and demographic factor that we looked at when studying women in the labor force in the state of Utah was marital status. I thought that was interesting. Yes. So we see that 56% of Utah married women are working versus 59% of U.S. women. So our married women are, you know, reasonably less likely to work. But everything else yeah. uh, is really, we're higher on it, higher, all other right? categories. So women who've never been married, 71% of Utah women versus 66% of U.S. women, 71% of Utah women who are separated versus 66% of U.S. women, 70% of Utah women who are divorced versus 63% of women in the U.S. So in all those different categories, including women who are widowed, 18.5% versus 18.1%. So pretty close on those numbers, you Utah versus U.S. But in all those other areas, women who've never been married, women who are separated, and women who are divorced, Utah women are more likely to be in the labor force. And of course, that overlaps into the age um, in terms of women who have not been married. So we have younger women working really much higher than the nation, as you said before. Yes. And they're, they're typically single. Those are 16 to 19. We're assuming that most of those women are single who are and, working and in the labor And just before, before we move on, I think it's important to think about that and in these statistics, starting at age 16, they're working more. And so, of course, you know, I love and you do too, the topic of getting young women to go to college. So we may see, we don't have exact data on how they're spending their money, right? Uh, but we do kind of get a feel from anecdotal data that more women here in Utah are paying for college themselves than, than maybe what we would find in other places. Yeah, that's an interesting So we wonder, yeah. Question, right. Well, one of the things I was wondering as you just said that is the fact that our women are working at such higher rates is that because they're not in college. We know that oh, true. women in the state of Utah are finishing even bachelor's degrees at lower rates than women nationally. And is that how is that related to the fact that they're more likely to be in the labor force? So it's good and bad, right? If the women are working and instead of going to college, that's not necessarily a good thing. That's true. And I was thinking more, are they working so that they can pay for college? college. So who knows, but right. we know we can, we know that there's probably some of those reasons in there in terms of, of Utah. But what are the statistics really around race and ethnicity then? So the rate of participation in the paid labor force for women in the state of Utah does vary by race and ethnicity. So the highest percentage that we have is for Hispanic women. 65% of them are in the paid labor force overall. 62% of women who identified as other or two or more races are in the paid labor force, 60% of Asian and Pacific Islander women, 60% of, oh, 59% of white women, and 56% of Native American women. So we can see that it goes all the way from 65% down to 56% as far as varying by race and ethnicity within the state. Yeah, I think that's important. And then we had a little section on our snapshot on maybe some different areas in the state of Utah. And I, I noticed Utah County was not on there in terms of labor force participation in other parts of the state. What did 
you find. Right. So Utah County was right in the middle. Mm-hmm. And that's why I didn't figure we showed some of those counties that were the highest participation rates and the lowest participation rates. And again, it's hard to distinguish exactly by rural and urban, because some of the highest states, I mean, the highest counties, Beaver at 63% is a more rural county. Yes, yes. But Summit County was the highest at 65%. Salt Lake County also at 64.8%. But then definitely some of the lowest participation rates are in the very rural counties, Duchesne at 49%, Paiute at 49%, and Daggett down at 45% of women's labor force participation. And we know that in some of those areas, women may want to be working, but there just aren't the available jobs in some of those counties. That's a good point. And the last, really, the demographic I wanted to have us cover is really the children, number of children, age of children. Uh, We found some interesting things. Yes. And this is one of the things when I go out and speak on this to groups, this is one of the things that I always use to kind of trick my audience because this surprises people so much. When we talk about the fact that 61% of Utah mothers specifically who have children under the age of six are in the paid labor force. Now that's still much lower than the U.S. rate at 70%, yeah. but, but people still, are surprised. They think 61. women with preschoolers, they're not going to be working. They really are. Our numbers absolutely drop down when women, when mothers have children at home and in school. So kids between zero and 18, that drops down to 51%. So that's the time when women are really saying, I I can't be working outside the home for pay. I've got so much going on here with all these kids. And that would mirror national numbers as well, except we are more exaggerated. Right. Because women across the world, I would say, really, when their kids are at home, they're kind of in the mix and they're busy with that. They're going to be working a little bit less. Yes, absolutely. But in Utah, how we see those numbers more exaggerated. Yes, that's true. Um, But then when women have all their kids in school, that's when our labor force participation is highest with with the mothers. So uh, mothers who have their kids between 6 and 17, 73% of them Hmm. are back in the paid labor force. And women with uh, no children under the age of 18, 76% of mothers. I'm surprised it doesn't go up even more at that point. Right. But even back to the main number you shared at the first, 61% of Utah mothers with children under the age of 6 work. So that's just, even though we're below the national average, that's a striking number to me. It is. And so again, it just demonstrates some of the things that we're going to be talking about later that can support women in their professional pursuits. This stuff is really relevant to Utah women, Utah mothers, such as childcare and other things like that. And I was, that was my next question is like, why does this matter? I mean, we're talking about this. We put this report out, but I actually have people from time to time say, why, why does it matter for us to talk about this? topic. I mean, what's the big deal? Well, it's a big deal because it affects such a large number of women and families within the state of Utah. So one of the things that we know, even though we have the lowest ranking nationally for the percentage of children that have both parents or all available parents in the labor force at 52%, um, the national average is about 65%. That is still still half the children, right? Half the children in the state have all available parents in the workforce. And um, so it's really important that we talk about this, that we're making sure we're doing everything we can to help Utah women and Utah mothers be successful in the labor force, because it's affecting so many people within the state. Another uh, thing of note is that 
we have the largest gap in the nation between mothers and fathers who are in the full-time labor force. Mm, So that's at 42%. So we see, you know, men are working in the labor force um, at higher rates than women, but our gap between fathers and mothers specifically within the state of Utah is the highest in the nation. So some of the stories that we talk about, there is a ring of truth to them, truth, but not nearly as much as we, you know, tend to think. Yeah. And, you know, we have, I mean, all of these statistics really relate to a variety of Utah families. I mean, some of them, all of them relate, but there, of course, are so many different types of families in the state. Um, and oftentimes, especially when I'm speaking, and you probably get this too, that there's an assumption, especially among men more than women, in my experience, that when we're talking about these issues, we're talking about two-parent families and children who are at home. But we have a lot of single moms raising kids. And I would say dads too, but our our biggest percentage is single moms. And we have a lot of those single moms who are living in poverty and really struggling with with some of these issues. So it really relates to so many things in the state of Utah. And it does matter. Oh, It does matter. It matters not just for the woman, but anything that happens to the woman relates to her partner or spouse at home. But those children are what we talk about a lot, right? Yes, of course. And uh, the education level of the the parents and the mother really make a difference there that we'll talk about in just a little bit. But before we kind of we move to what can we do? I mean, what what do we recommend? I wanted to spend just a bit of time on occupational segregation. We actually had a whole section on that, and it's so fascinating. I mean, you have that across the nation, but we see it, you know, really strikingly. In Utah. But let's define what that means first. All right. So this is a really important topic, and it relates so heavily to how women are participating in the labor force and how successful they are. So throughout time, there have been sort of traditional careers that we think of in terms of women. That's what occupational segregation means. So so social work, elementary school teaching, nursing, uh, uh, cosmetology. Right, absolutely. (laughs) And so the concentration of one gender in an occupational group is what we mean by occupational segregation. And as you mentioned- So it could be men too. Yes. Oh, yes. And we're going to talk about that in a minute too. But we are more occupationally segregated within the state of Utah than nationally. So when we look at women and where they're working in the state, there are certain occupations that are heavily concentrated with one gender working in that specifically. So the three uh, most segregated among women in the state are- Healthcare's Yes, like the, healthcare the top support. One. Yeah, healthcare support occupations. 83% of those working in those fields are women. Then the next down is personal care and service occupations. So what you were talking about, cosmetologists. And, and, and then, massage and, and different things like different, that. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And then the third one is health technologists and technicians. So these are some of the lower healthcare support technologies, right? So we go from 83% women, 80% women, 74% women in those three categories. Now, one of the things that makes this so fascinating is that the pay for those three specific job fields is much lower than the median pay for our state wages overall. So the median pay for those three job um, sectors 
19,000 a year, 13,000 a year, 27,000 a year. Wow. So that trying to sound like when, much, we, when we're talking about supporting a family, supporting right? A, yeah, a exactly. single mother supporting a family on that. Now our median wages for all professions in the state is 31,000 a year. Mm-hmm. So considerably higher than those um, occupations that are so heavily segregated with women. On the flip side, uh, occupations heavily segregated with men, construction and extraction occupations. That's like mining. Those are 98% held by and men. And that makes sense. Right. Um, installation, maintenance, and repair occupations, 97% men. And then architecture and engineering occupations are 90% men. And those jobs pay 35000 41000 and $71,000 a year. And That's we a have big so, difference. Right? The difference between the jobs where women are heavily segregated and where men are heavily segregated. And so this occupational segregation is really important to understand in terms of how well our women are doing. We know that they're working, but how well are they doing? How well are they able to provide for themselves and their families if they're heavily segregated in these job fields that don't pay as much? Absolutely. And one of the, in our report, one of the things that really I found interesting when we were writing was, according to a recent report, more than 40% of Utah women work in just two occupational groups, and that is office and administrative support. And I think that's just fascinating and makes sense in a lot of ways. Yeah, we see this, right? We understand this anecdotally. We look around, we go to offices, and we see who's working in those positions. But because there are so many of those types of jobs, that's what's employing so many of the women in the state. So what, what can we do? What can we do? What can our listeners do? What are some important topics when we think about really supporting women so that they can support their families? And the first one that comes to mind for me is, and we've been doing so much work on this, is childcare. And we have a a specific snapshot, you know, very focused just on childcare that can give our listeners more information. But we can't forget that. No, it is critical for women to have professional success and be able to earn the money that they need to earn. The childcare piece must be considered. And it needs to be attacked from a lot of different areas, from government support, from employers making opportunities available and helping support their own employees with their childcare. I'm going to stop you real Really quick, because when you talked about government, uh, some interesting statements on some of these issues have actually come out of the legislature. Questions like, why should we care? This is a, a family issue. It's not a state issue. It's not a government issue. It's a family. So if the wife wants to work, they should take care of it. What would you say to that? Oh, well, hopefully those comments are becoming fewer and further between because they're absolutely out of touch with the reality of our neighbor- labor force needs within the state. We have such a tight labor force low unemployment within the state and our chambers, our different business groups are saying, They're getting engaged. we need great workers and they are starting to understand how cri- childcare is a critical piece and of that puzzle. And more and more, a childcare issue is not a woman's issue. No. It's a man's issue. It's a family. Of course, it's a family issue. And it's a bu- business issue as well. So we also referred to the cliff effect. Tell us a little bit more about that. This is fascinating. And we think this is so important to highlight because it's something that a lot of people might not be aware of. It's specifically relates to low-income women. And it's a policy issue, right? Right. It is a policy issue. So low-income women who are receiving some type of public support, whether it be food support, rent support, childcare support, these women, as they are working and they start to receive small incremental pay raises, what happens And offers for promotions, too. And as those things happen, their public assistance that they're receiving drops off dramatically. That's why it's called the cliff effect. So if you're making a couple thousand dollars a year, you might be receiving 
numerous types of public um, support. And then if you're making $100 more than that or $1,000 more than that, you lose all the public support. And so women are not able, their raises and their promotions are not able to catch up with what they're losing. So they actually the public turn, assistance. they turn down. Right, because uh, sometimes it's decreasing the their net income. And so policymakers are aware of this, but more needs to be done to really address this to make sure that women have the opportunity as they're moving forward in their careers to not be penalized for it, right? To not have their families suffer because this drop-off is happening happening dramatically and, and it's suddenly. And it's not good for anybody, no. this drop-off, because we want more women to be promoted, be able to earn more, you know, be able to afford going back to school if they need to and those kinds of things. But, and if but the it's change not good happens, for anybody. If the change happens gradually, then the women are able to move off that public assistance permanently yes. and, and be in a much better position. But that's not how it's designed right, right now. And so changes so. need to happen there. And also, one other thing, I think we can be supportive of women entrepreneurs. And we have, we're doing fairly well in the state compared to the nation on women entrepreneurs. When you compare women to men, though, men tend to to make more money and have bigger businesses and so forth. But I think that's a way that we can support women uh, in terms of the labor forces to support those entrepreneurs. And also, we talk about in our snapshot that there are some efforts that we need to pay attention to. And one of them is the Elevate Her by the Women's Leadership Institute, and they really get companies to sign on. And then when they sign on, they make goals like looking at their wage gap, like promoting women. Those and other programs are important things that can really help our labor force participation and make things good better, I think, for women and families. Um, I love oh. that you mentioned that because, again, it demonstrates how women's labor force success is really going to involve a multi-pronged approach, that women can be getting better educated, they can get support from their families and that sort of thing, but then companies policymakers, everybody else can do their part to make sure that we're studying all different avenues. It's not just all on the women to make sure, hey, get out there, be more successful, understand what's going on. There are so many different ways that different and, stakeholders and can get involved. companies can look at their promotions, their recruiting, their hiring, those kinds of practices can help. We're almost at the end. So I just want to mention a couple more things is reevaluating those systems and processes of hiring and promotion and training opportunities and those. We really recommend that for companies. And then we can't end without saying that uh, we really think men and women, but we're talking about mostly women, should continue with their education. If they've got the bachelor's, you know, we lag behind on graduate degrees, but we have many women without associate bachelor's degrees and many without certificates even at that level and how important that is. Any uh, last comments? Do you know, I just wanted to make one more comment about HR policies, because one of the things that we know is that so many women throughout their uh participation years in the labor force need different types of support as far as flexible work, as far as re-entry, women who've left the labor force and are coming back. And so there's so much that companies can do to make it possible for women to really be successful and provide greater value to their own companies. So it's a win-win for the women and for the companies as these businesses are able to be more creative about their efforts to retain and uh, support women throughout their employment That's service. a great comment. Thank you for that. So women in Utah do make up a significant p- proportion of the overall labor force in the state, but many are employed in low-paying jobs with limited room for advancement. So finding ways, as we've talked about today, to improve various factors for Utah women in the labor force will not only better their lives— 
but will also strengthen the positive impact of women in communities and in the state as a whole. Thanks so much for joining us today on this podcast series hosted by the Utah Women in Leadership Project at Utah Valley University. Our core mission is to strengthen the impact of Utah girls and women. If you want to read the research snapshot we discussed today or learn more about our research, resources, and events, please visit us at utwomen.org. Thank you.